Welcome back, citizen. You're listening to Space Trucker Radio. Everything you need to know about what's happening in the verse. Don't leave without us. We're full quantum in three, two, one. Punch it. Hey guys, and welcome back. Welcome in to episode number two of Space Trucker Radio. Everything you need to know about what's going on in the verse. My name is Phoenix, and I'll be your host for episode two. And I just want to thank you for for listening to episode one there. And you'll notice that when you did listen, I mentioned uh, it really being for our our Discord server. Now that's the Flyboys. That's who we are in game. If you see us, say hi. Uh, don't take a shot at us if you do. Well, <laughs> we will shoot back. <laughs> but uh, typically we're traders, uh, cargo runners, miners. But uh, we got some teeth. We got some teeth. Anyway, you will have remembered in that episode that I had said it would be specifically for the Flyboys on the Discord server. Wanted to try check it out and see what they thought and and uh, that I might actually go legit with it. Uh, and it, as it turns out, uh, the best way for me to have gotten that to them just due to compression size and and audio quality, was to actually load it up as a real podcast. And so I did, and so here we are. So even episode one uh, was made available to the general public, to you if you're listening, and to all the Flyboys, uh, welcome to episode number two. We had a pretty good time in the first episode talking about the Banu and Sadabal. Went into a little bit more depth about the people, the, the species of the Banu, who they are. And what they represent, what their life is like, and uh, really enjoyed that. And I hope you enjoyed that too. That's the goal that we have here at Space Trucker Radio, is to get you a more in-depth understanding of some of the things in the game that maybe you always wanted to know, but never had the time to sit down and read. With that in mind, uh, you know, it is important that I state none of the things that I share with you uh, as we go through this podcast and multiple episodes are of my own originality. So this is in-game lore. It was either written by uh, CIG itself, RSI, or uh, it could be information that was written by fans such as yourself and approved. Uh, there's many different ways that lore comes into the organization, uh, into Star Citizen. And the people, the devs uh, up at the top, those in, tra- in charge of lore, do an absolutely fantastic job of getting that to us. What I merely do is be the intercession to get it to you. So I'm going to find this information online. I'm going to take the time to read it to you, uh, to get you updated in a hopefully fun and interactive way a little bit. Uh, as we continue to go, you feel free to reach out to me on Twitter, Space Trucker Radio. Uh, certainly message me if you have, have uh, interest in certain episodes or things you'd like to know about. Uh, by all means, hit it up, and I'll definitely look at making an episode for you and consider it down the road. And that leads us to our episode today. It was a specific request to talk a little bit about the Ninetales. The Ninetales are an outlaw organization, and they're not the only one in uh, the Star Citizen universe. There's quite a few. And so it inspired me to do our second episode on the outlaws of Star Citizen. We're going to cover a little bit, not just who they are, you know, what gangs are out there and where they operate, but what it means to be an outlaw in, in the Star Citizen verse. And how did that come about? So, what is an outlaw? 
Maybe you've got this image conjured up of uh, dual pistol gun shooting out in the Wild West. Well, you know what? You're not far off. In game for us, an outlaw is a collective noun for anybody who lives outside the laws of the United Empire of Earth. That's a whole nother thing. You know, you know the UEE. Now, we're going to get into an episode one day to really understand the meat of the UEE, when it was established, and what that means to you. But for now, you understand what it is. It's the empire. It's the government, that centralized you know, entity that we all have to obey or, or, in the case of an outlaw, choose not to obey. You're labeled an outlaw if you're part of any structured faction or independent that uh, lives outside of those laws. Sometimes they're called outlaw packs or piracy packs. Typical outlaws reside in unclaimed systems. Now, as of right now, there are a number of unclaimed systems. In fact, I do believe there's 13. And these are off the beaten path. You know, they typically have makeshift habitation. It could be planet-side camps. It could be derelict space stations even hidden asteroid bases. And the criminals that don't want to abide by UEE law, they flock to these systems. It's not currently known if a UEE civilian or citizen can actually literally be declared an outlaw and be stripped of all of its rights, or if the term refers to the self-imposed life in unclaimed systems. So that's just something, the term outlaws applied, whether or not that actually carries weight with the UEE if a citizen can be stripped of their citizenship has never actually been fully explained to us. It's interesting to note that these unclaimed systems where a lot of the outlaw activity happens to the Nix system and the pyro system are on the horizon to be added into game fairly shortly. So it's a good thing we're covering this. We get to know, you know, the dangers and who's out there and what it is they want of you. <laughs> so humanity first pushed out into the stars. It was like a new Wild West was created, and outlaw activity began, as you know, to run rampant. And it was initially very hard with the technology of the time to be able to police that void uh, between inhabited locations with armed defenders to keep everybody safe. Not to mention that before the formation of the UNE, I know I just threw another one at you, that's before the United Empire of Earth was even formed. This was the United Nations of Earth. In brief, the governing body of humanity that from around 2380 was responsible for the general oversight of mankind. It later would be restructured into the United Planets of Earth in, in 2523. What was its goal? Well, the goal of the UNE was to advance humans into the cosmos as a united species. Problem was, not everybody wanted to be united as humans into one species and then out into the universe represented by one sole government. And so that, on October the 20th of the same year, led to the unification war in protest of the proposed unification. Uh, so, of course, we could go into that. We won't today. But you understand a little bit of, of history about the UNE before it became the United uh, planets of Earth, and then, of course, United Empire of Earth. Prior to all of this happening, there simply was no agreed law in space before the formation of the UNE. So, when nav jumper Antoine Lebec discovered the null system in 2290, which was not claimed because they just didn't see it as a useful resource, there were no terraformable planets in their mind, and so they let it go. Null became the first outlaw haven, a legal no-man's land, if you will, beyond the reach of Earth's law. 
By 2341, Null had grown quite a reputation as a hideout for pirates and smugglers, and when the UNE was formed in 2380, Null was not brought under the protection of the UNE law, allowing the problem to fester even further. See how it's starting to shape up? But all of this led to some logistical problems. For example, in 2438, the Cathcart system was discovered by fugitive Adelaide Loris. It's an unfortunate naming choice, given that her law enforcement nemesis, her, her arch rival, who, who she named it after, Marshal Winton Cathcart, would later kill her. <laughs> but it's an appropriate namesake for a system that would become notorious regardless. It has no planets, and with no planets, the UNE were not particularly interested with the find. Due to the system's lack of real use, and with no local residents, the UNE put Cathcart under military classification and began using it as a junkyard of sorts. In 2445, UEE pilot Dominic Thapa discovered a jump point in Cathcart, leading to a new system given a bland military designation. The Pathfinder's assessment of this new system was one of potential, but with a problem, because it could only be accessed via Cathcart, which remained military classified. Rather than risking opening Cathcart to civilian traffic, they attempted to make use of the system themselves, and with some success, terraforming the fourth planet and experimenting with terraforming the second, which was a smog planet, kind of like Venus, I guess you could say. By 2468, however, the government began to face a significant budgetary shortfall from the terraforming of the second planet, and the expensive development of that system quickly stopped. They had to settle, and a compromise was made. Rather than giving free access to civilians, the system would only be accessed by a single corporation so as to maintain strict control of the system of Cathcart. Mining rights to the system were sold to the Hathar group for a considerable sum. Now that they had done this, the subsequent lack of government and public oversight allowed Hathor to run the system as they saw fit. The name Hathor soon became synonymous with the system, but you probably know it as Nexus. So here's where we start to see outlaw groups really form up. The military presence in Cathgard dwindled and access to the system got easier and easier with later jump points discovered linking there. Without a proper claim on Cathgard, a repeat of Null was inevitable. Few laws were enforced over in Hathor, allowing crime to become commonplace every day. The only viable economy outside of mining, really. And this activity bled through to Cathgard. Over time, uh, Cathgard became a home for criminals. They built makeshift bases from the carcasses of scrap ships. Eventually, one concentrated mass of scrap emerged the outlaw base and so-called pirate capital, Spider. Gangs began to stalk the flight paths between the jump points and planets in Hathor, preying on any ship they came across. Combined with the Hathor group's stranglehold in the system, this pretty much dissuaded most people from visiting, as you can imagine, and most businesses from setting up operations. If that were not bad enough, things were made worse when the MIN system was discovered in 2473 via Hathor, a system consisting only of a rogue planet and four orbiting moons. So in a number of systems, piracy starting to, to grow grassroots, as it were. Are they outlaws? Are they living simply because they have no choice? Well, whichever one it was, it began to spread. 
Soon the pyro system was discovered in 2493 by a company called Pyrotechnic Amalgamated. The survey ship they dispatched simply noted that the overall disarray of that planetary system, uh, the difficulty of finding any resources that were transportable and the unlikelihood of any success when it came to terraforming operations uh, made it very difficult to be there. At the system center is a red dwarf with absolutely unpredictable solar flares and that can be a hazard to ships, making it an ideal ambush site. In 2509, an outlaw pack colorfully known as Daybreak Marauders made a name for itself knocking over convoys in Ellis. The advocacy agents at UEE eventually figured out that they had been operating out of, out of an as-yet-undiscovered system, Helios. Another system came into play. The Hades system was first identified by a ship titled the Mary Crow in 2515. But the discovery went unreported because the ship had been carrying several hundred freight units of stolen fusion drives, so not too eager to explain what they were doing and why they were there. Soon the Goss was discovered, the Goss system, around 2516, and that was a highly popular destination. Outlaws began to base themselves within a stellar emission cloud known as the Olympus Pool. In 2531, a pen penningless Jake Taps, the navigator of the Mary Crow, that's the ship that discovered the Hades system, sold the ship's extensive logbooks to finance a longtime slam habit. Slam being, of course, a very addictive drug in the verse. Uh, and the Hades system was officially registered by the Di Dynamo Corporation. Pretty soon, interest in the system skyrocketed once exploration ships conducted their initial survey. While the system had been deemed totally inappropriate for terraforming, they located some significant evidence that all the worlds were once home to an extinct spacefaring society. While busy trade lanes were well patrolled, the system went unclaimed, leaving plenty of nooks for outlaws to tuck away in. Odin was soon discovered as well in 2532, and with no strong terraforming candidates, the system was dedicated to industrial development. Various mining outposts were established. One such outpost being mining powerhouse Shubin Interstellar's Archon Base, located within the coil, the remains of the system's former first planet, and its plagued by electrical storms and dust clouds. This formed the perfect place for the outlaw group OMC to thrive, running protection rackets with local miners, including Archon. So now you, you've got a brief overview of all these different systems where outlaw activity is not only starting to crop up, but really taking root, even flourishing. But things were about to change, possibly even for the worse. You've heard us in episode one talk about the Messers. So the Messers were a dynasty, an Imperator dynasty family. So the Imperator is like, uh, the, I've heard it said, the Imperator, Imperator, whichever one you like. Uh, but they are the leaders. That's the, the empire, that's the top dog, the, the number one. And this Messer family had 10 specific family members at the top. So when we refer to the Messer dynasty, that's what we mean. And we can get into the Messers uh, uh, maybe another time, but basically it spans from 2546 with the installation of Ivar Messer and eventually the fall of Linton Messer the 11th in 2792. So during this period, 10 members of the Messer family ruled as imperators of the UEE, plus one even titled posthumously. <laughs> uh, so today, they are seen to have been malevolent dictators who pushed human expansion at unethical costs. So many conspiracy theories surrounding the notoriety 
of the Messers. So let's get back to that. It was under the Messers' reign that the term outlaw took on a much darker meaning. Rather than it being someone who chooses to live outside the laws of the UEE, it began to refer to anyone who stood in the Messers' way politically. One company that initially thrived under the rule of the Messers was terraforming giant Gold Horizon, who built space stations across human space. Under contract from Pyrotechnic Amalgamated, they built the station in orbit of Pyro 5. The station was only supposed to be in use for a short time, though, before being abandoned along with the hopes of earning a profit from the system. With Pyro then generally vacated by corporate interest, the station quickly fell into use as a meeting place for squatters. Runaways, black market deal makers, you name it. Eventually earning the moniker Rune Station. So if you hear that Rune Station, that's what we're talking about, Pyro 5. The only significant human presence actually in the system at the time. Despite the dangers of the crumbling halls, and very dangerous station, the popularity grew along the same path as Spider, that other outlaw base with outlaws gradually adding to the station's infrastructure. In 2571, the UEES Olympus entered the Null system, attempting to subjugate a growing refugee and criminal element of both human and Terravin that had been fleeing since Messer's ascension to Imperator. We'll get into the Terravin in another uh, episode. Uh, they're a very interesting race. So this ragtag group of ships, as criminal activity in that system, were really no match for a fully armed carrier, but they had a stroke of luck. The rear admiral stationed aboard the Olympus was desperate to turn a simple sweep and clear mission so into a boost for his career. So he, he ordered the carrier to personally pursue the refugees. Here's the thing. Large ships, they aren't really designed for use in close proximity to planetary bodies. So sure enough, the Olympus got caught in the gravity well of the planet Ashana. Uh, the surface impact presumably killed everyone on board. Scavengers eventually flocked to the area. They Pick the ship clean. And of course, eventually realize it was a little bit more pleasant to live aboard a big UEE carrier, damaged even as it was, than, you know, the caves or criminal hideouts they had previously called home. With the Navy not dispatching another force to eliminate that wreckage, squatters moved in and turned the Olympus into an outlaw town of the very same name. In 2582, nav jumper Carla Larry discovered the Nix system. So we talked about the Nix system a little bit. That's one that's going to be coming our way, presumably Q421 or Q1 or Q222. Of course, you know, we can never bank on these things, but we're hoping. But anyway, Carla Larry discovered the Nix system, 2582. Uh, it's located on the border of a dark nebula which is enshrouding the orbits of all three of the worlds. This nebula went on to characterize the system playing havoc with ship sensors, making it the perfect hiding place. QV Planet Services set up a mining operations in the asteroid belt between the second and the third planets, known as the Glacium Ring. The largest facility was a town-sized mining settlement on the planetoid asteroid, and here's one you're familiar with, Delamar. Now I know what you're thinking. What do you mean, Delamar? We have Delamar in the standard system, but wait for it. So this small thing was intended to support a small population of miners and engineers. It was a bare-bones station outfitted with only the essentials and a minimal amount of, of creature comforts. Unfortunately for QV, maintaining mining operations there proved far, far too costly. Unable to turn a profit or even sell their rights, they finally abandoned their facility in the next system. 
The region became home to a number of small asteroid-based settlements. Fringe colonists seeking anything, really, from life outside the reach of the UAE to a platform to engage in piracy, lived there. This band of undesirables would go on to characterize a counterculture in opposition to the Messers that grew in potency for the next 200 years. In 2587, naval combat pilot Lieutenant Eli Price was assigned to the UEES Virtue in Castra as part of a defensive line intended to guard against the nearby Xeon Empire, another alien race we will get into in a future episode. Important one at that. Encountering signs that trade lanes had been attacked, Price discovers a jump point that the raiders had been emerging through. Traversing the jump, he found their staging area on one of the planets. By listening in to the outlaws' comms, he heard not chatter that was indicative of greed or malice, as one might assume from a pirate or gang. But what he heard was talk of survival against an oppressive regime, against an empire. Price was pretty unnerved. He wasn't expecting this. He thought he was dealing with hardened, vicious criminals, and here he's hearing talk of survival against oppression. He's hearing unity. But it didn't dissuade him from reporting the outlaw's presence. He does report it. A day later, strike team secured the new system, calling it Oya, wiping out the inhabitants as they tried to flee. In 2654, Corson Messer nationalized all terraforming support concerns, leading to the collapse of Gold Horizon one year later. This left behind dozens of near-indestructible former G8 stations across the UEE that would later become renowned for criminal activity, much like with Rune Station. In 2655, a small group of activists seeking to escape the totalitarianism of the Messers found refuge in Delamar's vacated QV mining facility. It was dubbed... Wait for it. Levski, after the 19th century Bulgarian revolutionary Vasil Levski, who shared their dream uh, of an uh, egalitarian society. The People's Alliance of Levski, as it came to be known, transformed Delamar into a hotbed for political radicals, anti-UE sediment, and once barren tunnels, now prime real estate. As a word of this free town, as it were, spread, many anti-Messer activists Intellectuals, pacifists, all found their way to Levski. They aspired to create an idyllic, leaderless society built around mutual responsibility. Unfortunately, as one can only imagine, <laughs> this resulted in an endless debate over how to achieve these goals. Over the years, a criminal element took advantage of their lack of leadership taking up residence in the tunnels as well. So that kind of gets us up to date on, on outlaws, you know, how they came about. We see a lot of similar lines drawn between maybe familiar stories we've known in the past. You've got a large centralized form of government really looking out for the best interests of the people, or are they? Of course, it would seem during the Messer's reign that people did not feel that way. This led to a group or a band of rebels or outlaws to fight against this large oppressive military regime. Uh, but of course... Not all of their in intentions were pure of heart as well. So where do you fall? On the side of these outlaws fighting for survival, mixed in with some maybe uh, vicious goals as well, or on the side of the empire trying to maintain peace and order and establish uh, a smooth running system, but maybe also bled into 
some pretty greedy intentions and power-hungry leadership. Tough decision, isn't it? Well, as you get into the game, you're going to have to make that decision, especially coming up with a new event. I do believe we're getting a Nine Tails event, which will pit uh, the Nine Tails, maybe multiple systems, or not, pardon me, systems, but multiple stations as it'll attempt to overtake. It's understood so far, at least a little bit, that we'll be fighting against these people, but that we may even have the choice to fight with them. So what's holding it back a little bit is them setting up the infrastructure by which uh, you can choose your side and be able to uh, fight with the Ninetales if you think that their cause is worthy enough for you. There's a number of known outlaw factions, and we won't take too much time to go through this. We've been 24 minutes already covering the history of outlaws and how when we spread out into the stars, all of this came to be, which I hope you really enjoyed. But there are a few things that you need to know. Uh, for example, the Nova Riders. Nova Riders, uh, supposedly the first outlaw gang to boost a spaceship in flight. Pretty interesting. Uh, you'll see them in game. The original gang is long gone. Long gone. Uh, what you're going to see now is numerous copycats, but, but they've had varying success. And the Nova Riders, they do operate out of the Stanton system. You're going to find several lawful missions as enemies. Uh, they also feature in the minigame mission to Hadrian. Uh, Nova Rider livery is black and yellow. Uh, they were first introduced in the UEC in 2528. They didn't wind up lasting very long. Uh, what happened to them? They pulled a handful of jobs. They freaked out the people in charge. The military intervened and wiped them all out. And so uh, a few years later, another group started using the name, becoming a tradition. Every few years, you're going to see a new group who would take it on themselves to call themselves the Nova Riders, but they are not the original Nova Riders. Of course, there's the Low Riders, the likely offshoot of the Nova Riders. And they operate as well in the Stanton system. We don't know a whole lot about them. There's the Otani Syndicate, powerful criminal syndicate, has tendrils across most of human space. They, they operate on a mafia-like code of conduct. There's the Ninetales. Ninetales, they're, they're pirates based in Grim Hex. So that's a, right in the Stanton system, just off the yellow in the asteroid belt. And their major threat is the crusader security that's their number one nemesis um, they operate by turning off comma rays frequently frequently and so that's a major problem here's what we do know about the nine tails uh, we did receive some comms and check out this letter it says my cousin was the only one who brought me in on the job and even with her vouching for me none of the nine tails would say more than two words to me if that cold reception wasn't enough to make me nervous i hadn't even been that sure about the whole thing in the first place my life was plenty crap without needing to spend the next few years in quarterdeck. Quarterdeck being a prison world we'll get into another time perhaps. But at the end of the day, creds are creds, right? The way my cousin explained it, those security fods only had a job because of people trying to steal stuff. So we were helping them and their families as much as ourselves. I'm not sure I believed it, but it did help me climb into that turret. Chief flew and I fired. Together, we took out three ships. He even got a bonus share for it and a nickname too. That was three years ago, and I'm still flying with the nines. They can, pretty, they can be pretty fun once you get to know them. So yeah, I guess I'm an outlaw now. But if anyone asks, I tell them I work in security recruitment. So that's a bit of a, a comms, a letter from someone named Tan Jitters Lowen, who flies with the Ninetales. So even woven into that, you can start to see the different opinions. You know, they were helping someone out, almost a Robin Hood complex, if you will. There's the Argyll Dawn, a well-organized band of pirates headquartered in the Echo 11 in Nexus. Uh, they're featured more in Star Marine. If we get into some of that lore down the road, you will learn a little bit about Argyll Dawn. There's the uh, Coriolis Initiative, 
That's a crime syndicate that participated in the 2944 outlaw armistice. Uh, Nescus, the ruler of Olympus, that crime city used to be a hitter for Corliss Initiative. There's the Dusters, an outlaw pack operating in Stanton with ties to a fella named Ruto. And we do know a little bit of Ruto is a pseudonym of a no-questions-asked private contractor with ties to Stanton's pirate groups, including the Ninetales. He's one of the best-known uh, info brokers in Stanton. His true identity, though, remains a complete mystery, as he only deals via a video terminal in a back room on Grimhax that spoofs the face of former Imperator Kilos Costigan due to their immense dislike for him. <laughs> uh, he manages a vast network of criminal activity. Ruto does. He's got many connections, much knowledge, uh, and he runs for the Ninetales quite a bit. So you might run into him in-game as well. If you're working with the Dusters, there's also the Odin Munitions Corporation, Outlaws and Pirates operating in Odin under the leader Sato Karn. The OMC featuring Squadron 42, including a character named Vat Atagica. So we might come across them when Squadron 42 gets released. There's also the Sangestus, a cryptic outlaw pack that operates on Lago, a Nexus who believe the, the gas giant Red God possessed mysterious powers, hence the planet's name. There's the Screaming Gal Sons. Crazy yet competent band of pirates, thieves, thugs that operate in Tyrol and in Odin. And finally, there is also the Xeno Threat. So you're familiar with them. Many of us have fought against the Xeno Threat and the Xeno Threat incursion when they moved upon Stanton with their Idris. Um, and we were battling. They hijacked a number of shipping lanes. They were attacking the Javelin that we just recently had an opportunity to tour the uh, Warhammer. Yes, UE Warhammer. Uh, so we got to fight alongside... The Warhammer against the Xenothreat incursion. They're the current holders of power on the brutal uh, Pirate Haven Rune Station that orbits Pyro 6. So we're going to see them probably a little bit more too when Pyro finally launches. There's also the Daybreak Marauders. They, they discover the Helio system and they use its connections with the Terranus as a staging area for knocking over convoys in Ellis and then retreating. So they're kind of a hit and, hit and quit it kind of people. Uh, two left, there's the Mackerel Marauders, pirates based in Null, who attack uh, the clowns. <laughs> and yeah, you heard me correctly, the clowns, which is just another pirate group in Null. There's also a few other known participants in the 2944 Outlaw Armistice, the KGs, the Diamond Shots, the Little Backs, the H-Core, and the Lusk Blunts. My personal favorite name, <laughs> the Lusk Blunts. So as we continue to fly in the verse, taking on missions, we're probably going to learn a little bit more about these Outlaw groups uh, love them, hate them, love to hear from you. Uh, in the Nine Tales event, you're going to fight against them, you're going to fight with them. Are you for the cause, against the Empire, or want to subjugate these vicious criminals? Hit me up on Twitter. Uh, that is, uh, boy, I'd love to give you my at, but uh, if you look me up on Twitter, on Space Truckers Radio, I believe it's at Space Trucker RA1. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks a lot for listening today, guys. I know it was a little bit of a longer episode at 30 minutes. A lot to cover. And uh, hopefully you had a, a really enjoyable time learning a bit more about all these groups and help you make some informed decisions when you get into the verse. Until then, guys, in our next episode, keep your eyes on your radar, and I'll see you in the verse. <laughs>